0: Good day everyone, thank you for joining us once again on another Connecting Conversations podcast. Today we have the amazing Cynthia Davis CBE with us who is going to tell us all about her work and the impact that she's making specifically within the diversity, equity and inclusion space. So we're here to have a really exciting discussion, informative discussion, but also a discussion where we can learn, reflect, grow and motivate um, others within the space and ultimately make a change. So thank you, Cynthia, for joining us. Please give us an introduction and your wonderful accolade of your CVE. That would be
1: amazing. Oh, thank you so much, Ivalka, for having me, and Carla as well. I'm excited to be here. Um, so, yes, I'm um, I'm Cynthia V. Davis, CBE. I'm still getting used to the CBE title; still very new, only two weeks old. Um, so, <laughs> still a baby in terms of uh, my name. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, just just pleasure, to, pleasure to be here. And um, yeah, remind me again what was the other part of the question I needed to answer. <laughs> Like, tell us a little bit why, why you are awarded this, prestigious <laughs> just accolade. I'm still drinking my coffee by the way in my lovely fancy mug so yeah. Um, yeah it might take me a little while to get going um so yeah so the CB um I uh, you know it was such a privilege to to receive it and it was for services to quality diversity and inclusion um and that's probably spanned over the last 10 years that I've been in this space um and I suppose to be rewarded well not even rewarded but to just be acknowledged at um you know this kind of level I I was um yeah just just in awe and still it feels very surreal in so many ways so but yeah
0: (laughs) amazing and what does that CDE mean to you if you don't mind me asking
1: yeah I I think it's just really just a recognition of the 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 hard work that's gone on over the last kind of 10 years, and I think, you know, when I started my my career, you know, diversity and inclusion wasn't even anything that people were talking about at all, you know, so this is 10 years of really trying to push, um, you know, around trying to drive more social impact and really try and get people to think differently. Um, so, you know, if I think back pre-COVID, you know, even, even just going as as early as pre-COVID, you know, diverse inclusion still had a very different kind of meaning and how it, it resonated with people. And, you know, we witnessed so many different changes uh, from the Me Too movement through to the Black Lives Matter kind of, um, you know, movement. So I think there's been a big shift around what diverse inclusion kind of means. And it's been amazing to see that work happening finally. And, you know, so from the 10 years when I started doing it to get to this stage, it just feels really like valid that all the work and the groundwork that we were doing before really um was was so needed and so important and it took a while for people to get along on that journey but that recognition of receiving the CBE was just really, I suppose, just highlighting that this is important. This is this was worth fighting and championing for all those years when nobody really believed in it and nobody really wanted to talk about it. So, I suppose to me, that's what it means. It's all that work and effort that went before um, was was really worth it
0: yeah well that's beautifully um summed up and I think I I have been privileged enough to see part of your journey in in doing that work and you know it's so well deserved um all the work that you and the team that have been doing over all these years so with that being said tell us a little bit about your professional background how did you even enter into the D&I diversity and inclusion world and
1: you know how where are you now? Yeah, I suppose, you know, how I got into D&I was really, I suppose, just out of sheer frustration and, and, and just wanting to, to drive change and drive change using what I knew and what I understood. So my background has really been in talent acquisitions. And the last 23 years of my life and i feel so old when i say that 23 years um of my life has been in um talent acquisition and that's been working um you know from, from corporates right through to, to big consultancy um firms and i suppose the journey that i've gone through in those organizations where a lot of times they weren't really inclusive they weren't um you know, organisations that's always supported uh, people from different backgrounds and really understood people from different kind of backgrounds really helped to shape what I experienced. And I think it was a lot of that kind of lived experience that I'd gone through around misogyny, around racism, around discrimination, you know, o- o- over that that stage of my career really made me kind of feel, you know, there's, there's a lot of inequality that still exists in, in, in this world. And I think the biggest turning point for me was when my daughter was born, it was the realization of the world that she was coming into where she would always be judged because of the color of her skin, you know, her gender would be um, held against her, who she ended up loving, you know, would be, would be uh, viewed and analyzed um, and, you know, around, her ethnicity and you know all these things played a big part in terms of being a parent and thinking hang on a minute what am i bringing this child into this world still has you know it's still not inclusive it's still not supportive of anyone that's different um and i suppose it was really about well what can i do to to try and make things better and i believe that if you want to see change in the world, you've got to be part of that change. You know, you can't wait for somebody else to go fix the world so it's better for that next generation. If you're not prepared to do it yourself, so I think a lot of the the work that I did and how I got into DNI was just really out of that pure frustration of I have to fix this, I have to do something, um, and I have to be part of that solution of finding a way to make things better. So in 20, 30 years, when my my daughter finally goes into the world, she finds it a little bit better than what. I did how I found it or how my parents found it so yeah. you know it's those steps that we're trying to to take around eradicating some of these barriers that still exist in our everyday life and that's how I got into the world of of d and the world of trying to really drive real impactful change um and just try and use the skills that I had around bringing people together around um you know championing people uh from different kind of backgrounds and and shining a, a spotlight on the brilliance that um is the diversity in in our society so yeah it was really that that led me to to do the career that i have and what's been the driving force behind everything that i've done is just that mission and purpose of we've got to change things we've got to do better for the next generation it can't be every generation still experiencing this over and over again
0: Yeah no certainly and I think it's really important that you know a lot of our lived experiences has led to us and has been the catalyst in driving and wanting more and wanting change and you touched upon your daughter being quite a focal point in that. Now if you just just a bit of an offshoot to that what what do you think um, for children coming up into this world what what are your hopes are for people like your daughter in breaking down those systemic barriers is it something that you know is is this something that we could reach is it something that you think you need to equip your daughter with more and how have you ever had any challenging conversations with her about the color of her skin or the lack of accessibility in terms of her gender
1: yeah, and I think every every parent, at some stage, you know, you do have that. And, and my and my daughter is of mixed heritage, so you know, she comes from a mixed background. She's half white and half black. So you know, there's all, those interesting conversations I've had to have with her around the two different cultures that she she comes from, and you know, she lived through the the the, the Black Lives. Uh, matter kind of movement. She, you know, heard everything that happened around the murder of George Floyd. And those were really difficult times as a parent to sit down with each other and finally talk about racism, and it, it, you know, because everybody was talking about it at school. It was all over the TV. So I think it forced a lot of these conversations, you know, earlier on than maybe I was prepared to 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 have. But I think it it was good because I think, you know, Education is the way that we're going to change this, and we're going to, you know, change um, and dismantle some of these, um, you know, barriers that still exist in our society. And I think the more we can educate ourselves and learn from those experiences and try and do better, that's the only way that we're going to move forward as a society. So I think really equipping this younger generation to really understand around, you know, what's gone before. Let's not let's not shy away from it. You know, we need to have some of these brave, courageous conversations but equip our young children to be able to go out into the world you know better equipped than maybe I did you know when I went into the into the world of work and I think that's when we can really start to see that shift and you know making sure that we're changing hearts and minds but with the right information so they're not hearing it secondhand or somebody's not saying something that they you know is offensive because we've educated our kids we've given them the right kind of way to 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 accept and 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 you know coexist with people that are from different backgrounds and that are different from them and I think that has to start from the home that has to start with parents educating their children that has to start from when they at schools schools have to really educate them around you know the difference in our society and be more accepting of that um just and and I think that's where we 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 will see that change and not Having to tackle it once people are in the workplace, because at that point, I think it's a little bit too late. You know, we are trying to reverse all that that damage that's happened way, way, you know, you're talking 15, 20 years ago. So the earlier we can start to really have these conversations, the, the better it will be for that next generation. And I think that's where I get excited for all the work that's going on at the grassroots in the schools and you know at, at the really early stages where children are still children and are seeing the world in this beautiful you know very innocent way if we can really capture their hearts and minds at that point it just means the next generation is is much better we hope um yeah. you know and i and I, I say i live in hope and being very optimistic uh, that that that's the world i'd like my daughter to grow up in
2: yeah no, definitely enjoyed um, just listening to how even the, the narration that you have about your experience is so full of hope, as you said, it's so full of excitement and optimism. I think one of the questions that I, that I feel really struck me, and this is maybe going back a step or two from when when you first started sharing your incredible story, is you mentioned that when you started this journey, it was out of frustration, but you also started in a landscape that really this wasn't existent. What has kept you on the journey? Because Going into a space where it doesn't exist, you're forging things from scratch, breaking really hard ground. If we're going to talk in almost like an agricultural figurative way of speaking, breaking ground for new seed sounds like what you were doing. And I think that takes courage and bravery. But my question is, what has kept you keeping on? Because now it sounds like you can acknowledge that all the all the time that you invested to stay committed to the cause. You know, it, you you are finally seeing fruit, but 10 years is no small joke and no easy feat. What has sustained you to keep going despite feeling like, "Am I the only voice here?" Sometimes, I, I think
1: that the fact that there's still more work to be done, and this this is never going to end, right? And we <laughs> haven't reached the mountaintop yet. And and, wow. and I remember, you know, <laughs> I I grew up, um, you know, with parents that really talked a lot around people that were freedom fighters so my family come from zimbabwe and you know south africa so you know having people like nelson mandela that i grew up listening to and his fights you know he was in prison for 27 years for so something that he believed in you know and you have people like uh martin luther king you know that were really championing all this ch- and you know we're just Walking you know in their footsteps to try and continue where they left off, you know, and the more of us that are now vocal and coming up and speaking up in whatever small pocket of society that we can, however little uh we can is is all gonna add into this big societal change and shift that we really are all hoping to see, so I think that's what keeps me motivated that's what keeps me going that there's still a lot of work to be done, we are nowhere near where we need to be, and I think it's great to acknowledge that progress has been made and we have moved on a lot further than maybe where we were 10 years ago maybe where we were 5 years ago um you know and i and i look at you know before Covid, some of the things that we were trying to 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 push around inclusion, inclusion of you know people being able to have flexible work, and everyone going, oh, that's never going to happen. You ca- it can't be done." And then obviously you have an event like Covid that makes that happen, and all of a sudden people are like, "Oh yeah, we can have inclusive workforces. Yeah, we can work remotely." You know, so I think it's it's really how do we keep pushing forward and 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 changing hearts and minds? And sometimes you you have these moments in time that force you to do that change or to reflect in a different kind of way that you maybe weren't ready to reflect on, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the the, watching the horrific murder of George Floyd in front of our eyes, made sure that everyone had no excuse of why they weren't doing something around dismantling racism, whether you were a company that thought, okay, right. We haven't tackled this, but we need to do something finally. Great. They now realized they needed to do something and You know, it's those kind of moments in time that I think are so key and so important to keep the conversation going. And this work will never get done. Even I think in my daughter's generation, they will still be championing, you know. But what excites me about the new generation coming through is... um, They hold us to account now. You know, Mm -hmm. I look at the younger generation coming through. People like your Greta Thunberg. You know, they're brave. They're bold. They're courageous. You know, they they're vocal. They stand up. You know, they speak up. And how amazing is that? You know, and for me, that that gets me excited because I know that they've been empowered. But what they've seen around this isn't right, and therefore we have to take responsibility and accountability for the world that we want to live in. So I think. That that's where it gets really, really exciting, the fact that, you know, collectively as a society, we're now are the ones that are taking ownership on making this change and not always just waiting to be given permission or for, for leaders to drive the change or to give us the agenda to go drive the change. We're taking it upon ourselves now to think, right, if it's not right, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to call it out. And we just become more empowered, I think.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And you actually reminded me of a, a story that, um, I was told just yesterday um, there at this motorsport event that I was at, there was some quite a lot of females there, which was great because we want to have more females and ethnic diversity within STEM. So there was a lot of females engaging. And one of the females said at a lab event, and she was learning about all the different sciences and what goes on in the mechanics. And then she turned around to one of the facilitators and said, actually I think I can do this I I really really enjoy science mm. I never knew I did but I think I can do this now mm. and that fills me with so much hope and so much inspiration to know that once we like you talked to, rightly about getting to those grassroots educating highlighting to um our young people our leaders of the future we will we will progress so much further um and Yes, things aren't where we need it to be right now, but the younger generation, I am so, so They motivate me to keep going. Like my sister, for instance, she's
1: 18. She holds me to account every single day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And we need that in our society. And I think also, I think they need to see role models as well. They need to see people who are also championing this and you can't be what you can't see. So I think the more they can see, hang on a minute, that person's like me, they've got a background like me and they're doing this. I need to do that. And it it gives them that, that, that hope and that ability to think it's okay to speak up. It's, you know, it's okay to challenge So I think role modeling with the right kind of role models and giving them access to those role models who are driving change, who are change makers, I think is also really important. So they can see what's possible and what they can aspire to, to do and achieve themselves as well. Certainly, certainly. And,
0: color did
2: you want
1: to
0: yeah is that okay yeah
2: Yeah. I just I I really appreciate you sharing just such a range of where you see the optimism is is kind of emerging and we've spoken a lot about like we can see that actually the next generation is probably the shining light of to see what potential we can enter into a much more positive future I guess my question is Going around what you acknowledged in terms of there is without a doubt, everybody saw on very public platforms the situation with the Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd, and it caused everyone to stop and take notice. Where it sounds like young people are ready for change, would you say it's only the young people that are kind of, kind of harvest ready to be able to engage with these changes? Do you have hope and think that actually more change could also happen from some of the prior generations where life was looking a very certain way? you know, cemented decade upon decade, generation upon generation, where elements of D&I were just not in the language. It was not something to consider. We were living in um, concepts of division that were quite acceptable. And you mentioned South Africa, and that was a system that was ingrained in their legal system about separation yep. and lack of diversity and disunity and amongst people. We're privileged enough to live in the UK where we can walk side by side, live side by side with people that represent many different nations and cultures and still call ourselves British, but it's a different form of what we're looking at into the, the kind of landscape of D and I. Do you think there is scope that change can still happen from some of the prior generations that are now having to engage with this new wave of what, what life is doing with the DNI space? I don't know if that was clear, but I, I hope Yeah, it,
1: yeah, no, it, it is. And I'll give you a great example of that. I, I you know, I come from a family um that um didn't really understand a lot around LGBTQ plus, you know, because I suppose when you're from certain aspects of, in Africa, it's still very illegal to be to be gay, you know, and people get arrested and sent to prison. And I remember sitting down and having this conversation with with my dad because one of my best friends is gay, and um, my you know for a long time my parents just didn't realize it was because it was just you know one of my friends, and and when I remember approaching the the subject, and then they were like oh we, t- we didn't realize and and I said well has anything changed about how you view them and you know they kind of sat there and they were very quiet for a while and they were like well no and I was like is anything about who he is any different now that you know he's gay and they're like well no and, you know so it was that education of trying to educate them around um you know accepting people for just who they are you know the fact that they now discovered that that my friend was gay didn't make him any different from the person that came and sat you know used to come to our house every night for dinner and you know would all coerce so i think it's really just changing their minds around it's still the same person right and mm-hmm. i had to educate my parents around um you know lgbtq and they they for a long time it it, it took a while for them to really Except the world because it was so new to them it was a world that they probably didn't for years had never really been exposed to or to, or really had any access to but now that they've got somebody who was part of our extended family friend you know they they started to ask questions and and I, it was great for me to be able to to get to answer those questions and I remember inviting my friend over for dinner and I said they've got questions they would like to ask could you talk to them? And it was so lovely having that, creating that safe space for them to learn and ask without the fear of getting anything wrong or without the fear of, you know, asking the wrong kind of question or anything like that, because they just wanted to know and they wanted to educate themselves. And I think that's beautiful when we can really bring these conversations, educate people. And and I think that's the same with the work that we do in DNI. is how do we educate people? Yeah, you might have not talked around race before, but let's, let's, Sit down, let's talk about it. Let's ask those questions in a safe space that we learn and we educate ourselves. So we're better prepared. We're better to, you know, understand different cultures and different kind of backgrounds and be able to support in the right kind of way, be better allies, be better um, you know, supporters of, of different um communities. So I think, yeah, it does give me hope because I think where people are willing to learn and to listen, there are always people that are there and happy to educate them. But there's got to be the willingness to want to learn and the willingness to want to understand. There are people that are just so closed off that no matter what you do and say, they ain't interested, they're not listening. And sometimes it's harder to change those hearts and minds. But I think those that are very open-minded and will put their hands up and say, you know, I don't know, you know, I want to to do better. I want to learn. I want to understand there's always people that are there to to support and educate and, and, and yeah and do it in the right way.
0: Amazing. No, that's that's definitely really important. And I think in terms of how we then look at that within the work within the workplace, do you think those sentiments and um those uh different approaches translate to how we look at DNI and um challenge but also um empower i within a corporate environment, for instance. Do you think that that's translatable in how we communicate with our leaders?
1: Yeah, massively so. But to your point, to communicate with leaders, it's got to be modeled by the leaders, right? The leaders have got to be the ones that are also demonstrating and leading by example. Um, But I think if I think of any team or any organization, you always have people from different walks of life, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds. And it's really how do you foster that form of really understanding each other and working collectively together and supporting each other, but also celebrating those differences as well. So they're not, you know, your differences aren't held against you. So I think there's a way that organisations can do that and foster that inclusive culture that allows people to just be themselves and not have to hide or, or, or shy away from taking their whole selves to work. Um, And I remember I grew up in Yorkshire. And when I moved from, from Yorkshire to London, I had a really, really strong Yorkshire accent. And I, I remember coming into, into this company and, um, you know, and I was speaking to clients on the phone and my, my manager at the time pulled me aside and she said, can you put on a posh voice because no one can understand your Yorkshire accent. And I was like, hang on a minute, you know, so. I was just like so there were so the message of what I was saying to clients was exactly the same, but she wanted me to have a different accent, which meant mm-hmm. I had to change who I was to try and fit into her idea of what how I should sound to clients, which I struggled with that for a very, very long time. But I think at that point I was still quite younger in my career, still very early stages and just didn't didn't really have the voice and um you know to be able to speak up in the way that I do now. But that always stuck with me. And, you know, for ages I'd go home and I'd practice speaking in my posh voice so that I didn't sound northern and you know, and it's things like that 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 people don't realize the impact they have on 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 others and on those around. So somebody's accent being almost held against them, you know, it's like, you know, what's all that about? So yeah, I, I just think We just need people to understand how do do you let people be who they are? How do we celebrate that that authenticity that makes us all unique and all amazing in our own way? That's what we really need to be fostering when people come into the world of work and not trying to change them to conform or get them to fit into our idea of what they should be or what's, you know, acceptable um, in a workplace.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think yes, I I completely concur in terms of there is an element of we need to embrace difference. We need to embrace that everyone is not going to come from the same background or same accent or same languages. There is so much, especially within the UK, there is so much diversity within the within the britain why are we not embracing that more why are we not bringing that in why are we not exploring different avenues to recruit people of that nature and of that background why are we not utilizing our you know communities um and engaging with our communities to really accelerate and really make noise around um what is right and just about you know bringing up bringing change into into the sphere so you know, I can talk about this all day with you. <laughs> like literally, I have so many other questions. But I think the one question that I want you to educate us as well as our audience is: Is there anything that you've noted in terms of different trends um, that could be upcoming, or have you? Are there anything new you perceive that we should be on the lookout for when we, when it comes to inclusion and fostering inclusion in the workplace?
1: Yeah, I think we live in a in a world that's ever evolving, right? And it's just not standing still and it's never going to stand still. And I think the world of work especially has, has evolved a lot. Um, if I think of, you know, what's coming ahead, you know, we've got people that now work flexibly, that work remotely. It's really trying to make sure that we can still foster that inclusiveness of everybody uh, being supported in the right kind of way um you know so things like flexible work are not going to go away people now want that you know people actually turning away jobs that's like you've got to be in the office five days a week nine to six they're like no thank you I don't yeah. want that I want to be able to have that flexibility of you know working how I work how I work because it's we've got gotten used to this having this world of you know work and personal life coexisting in a in an in a finally in a way that 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 is accepting for us as individuals so for somebody to then dictate how that needs to be people are like resisting now so Mm -hmm. you know i think that that's the 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 trend i think is still going to carry on into 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 the um you know the new year but also things like ai you know is is Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest things we just need to be mindful of because that ai revolution is coming And it's Mm -hmm. how prepared our organizations around how that's going to have an impact on their workforce, on the people that are maybe doing the day to day jobs as they are now in the future, they might look very different. You know, if I look at things like chat GPT, that's revolutionized how people write things or find information or do things, you know? So there's a lot of change that's coming. It's how do we make sure that change is actually for the good and not for the bad. How do we make sure that the, the the technology that's coming is also very inclusive, that that needs to be the people that are involved in creating that technology also need to be inclusive. They also need to come from a variety of backgrounds to be able to create products that are fit for, 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 for the future, you know, for everybody and not just particular demographics. So I think that to me is where I see some of the the trends and some of the threats that could come into the world of work as we know it. But I think, you know, with, with change, it's, it's really about embracing it uh, because change is good if it's done in the right kind of way, but it's just making sure that organizations are prepared and are ready for that change um, and are fully supportive uh, because not everybody's going to see it as a good thing. There will be some people that will feel a little bit threatened and a little bit unsure and, you know not quite quite um know how to how to deal with it so that support um you know is really really key and and important in terms of how we support the workforce in the future of work that that's coming ahead
0: Amazing. No, and you summed that up brilliantly. Um, I, I don't think I could have said it any better. <laughs> and I think like even when you touched upon AI, I actually did a post on LinkedIn a couple about a week or so about about that because it's so like, is AI good? Is it bad? Like, do where do we find the balance in something yeah. so new, so recent? Yeah. In either accelerate it can accelerate our change to to the greater good, but yeah. it also can be our greatest threat yeah. so how do yeah. we utilize it effectively and I think that that is to say about everything that we do in terms of the yeah. DNI space like even down to initiatives and ERGs are we using them in the right way in yeah. order to accelerate change are we using them to an, a disadvantage
2: yeah. um, that
0: further yeah. isolates and excludes people so thank you so so much for your insight and your oh, thoughts no, and sharing me. your story. <laughs>
1: It's it's been really exciting, as you said. We could really talk all day. I mean, this is something that that I just love speaking about because it's really really important, right? It's it's shapes who we are, you know, and who we become, as in, 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 as we move forward as as individuals, but also collectively as as colleagues, as friends, as allies to different kind of communities. So I think you know, the 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 one thing I would kind of just say is for all of us to continue to, to learn, to continue to educate ourselves, to continue to just be open-minded, to be more accepting um, and really just try and really, you know, speak up when things aren't right or when we see things aren't the way that they should be and, you know, empower ourselves to, to be able to do that. And I think that's what I'd love to leave the the listeners with just a little bit of empowerment to say, you know, we've got the power to create the world that we want to see and live in and succeed in, but it's on all of us to, to play our part, whether that's, um, you know, challenging when things aren't done in the right kind of way on speaking up for others, being better allies and showing up uh, for, for, for others as well. So all those things are so, so important for, for us to have this, world that we all hope um we can we can succeed and we can thrive and we can enjoy and future generations can 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 uh, pick up and enjoy as well so yeah that, that would just be the one thing i'd love to leave everybody with Thank be the you. change you want to see
0: <laughs> there we go there awesome. we go and to to end off the, the the podcast as well three key words being open-minded acceptance and show up if, that, if there's anything that this conversation, you, let, you leave this conversation with, make sure it's those three words. <laughs> Thank you, Cynthia, once again, Uh-oh. for joining on Connecting Conversations and we'll stay in touch. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Wonderful. Cynthia. Thank you both. That was amazing. Thank you so much. <sighs>